We are in a series entitled Compelled, Compelled, Learning to Live as We've Been Loved. And as we've looked at this series, we've talked about God's full devotion and what it means for us to live a life of full devotion to him because of his full devotion to us. And we talked about this, that a life of full devotion is compelled by God's redeeming love to live sent, sent. And those word, those letters of the word sent have formed an acrostic for us over the last three weeks to talk about four life postures that God's redeeming love leads us to live out. The first one is that we are compelled to surrender our life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. We are compelled by God's redeeming love to expend our life in the way we live each and every day. We are compelled by God's redeeming love to invest our life in the way that we participate and engage with God's mission through the local church. And then today we'll look at the fourth posture, which is to treasure transformation. And so today we'll see this, that God's redeeming love compels us to treasure transformation with our lives. It, it, uh, Christians live compelled by God's love to treasure gospel transformation that honors Jesus. Now I want to begin this morning just by talking a little bit about transformation. That's a word that we so quickly throw out and talk about, especially in the church, but I want to clarify what I'm talking about when I talk about transformation and what I believe Scripture clearly sets forth biblical transformation to be all about. That's a big word. has a lot of meaning for us as believers, but we shouldn't misappropriate the meaning as we seek to apply it in the congregation. Salvation in Jesus Christ is by God's grace through faith in Jesus' atoning sacrifice on the cross. Salvation is not about a better you. It's not about an improved you. It's not about another form of self-help for you. Salvation in Jesus Christ is a new you. That's clearly what the scripture teaches as it says we are made new. Our sins are forgiven. Our, our hearts and our consciences are cleansed thoroughly. Not only cleaned, but cleansed from within because of that forgiveness. And we receive new life the, the Old Testament prophets tell us that God takes our heart of stone that was rebellious towards him and gives us a heart of flesh to know him. And in that heart of flesh, he puts his spirit to live and to abide with us. That's what salvation is all about. A new heart that we might know God by his abiding presence through the Holy Spirit within us. Instantly, instantaneously, we are dead, made alive unto God. The old is gone away. The new has now come. This is salvation biblically defined. We die with Christ in the death on the cross that he died for us, that we might live in completely, though not yet ultimately, his new resurrection power. And so the new life that Christ gives 
is transforming us from the inside out. A whole new being. You see, we love to talk about it, but I wonder sometimes because of the casual nature with which we treat it, how well it is that we actually understand it. That's my concern to make sure that we're clear on what we're talking about with transformation today. You see, it's, it, 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 to think of transformation as simple outward changes would be to reduce it to something less than what the Scripture says it really is. Because outward changes are part of transformation, but they're never the sum total of it. In other words, they demonstrate what is taking place inside by the way we live it out. Biblical transformation, friends, is the birth of the new within us placed there by God himself. And we make transformation an unbiblical concept when we reduce it only to outward changes that we can produce or or when we reduce it to something that doesn't necessarily even produce outward changes. That's a, that's a major movement in our world today among Christianity. Is that Christianity has some kind of spiritual mysticism that has nothing to do with moral expression. It's not one or the other. It's both and. Outward change that reflects any form of, of a sin or idolatry as defined by the scriptures is not gospel transformation. It's just another form of human production trying to achieve what we can never achieve for ourselves. You see, transformation only occurs by God birthing new life in us through the gospel of Jesus Christ to live by the power of his Holy Spirit abiding in us so that he shapes us through our natural bodies into the new creation that he's making us by his redeeming power. And you go, wow, that's just a lot of definition, man. I really thought you would uh, talk a little more about, you know, life application maybe or something today. But I want you to understand what it is because we're going to talk about how it is that we treasure it today. And if we're going to understand that, we need to know what it is that we're treasuring. You see, transformation begins by conversion, by conversion. And that conversion comes by faith. And here's what conversion does. When we convert to Christ from the deadness of our own spiritual nature, Brought to life by the illuminating, life-giving proclamation of hope through the gospel of Jesus Christ and faith in him, that conversion brings new values to us. Things that we hold of great worth in our life. And, and that when we worship those new values, when we assign worth or value to them, our life is being formed by those values that it produces within us, in our thinking, in our attitudes, yea, even in our actions. And I'll submit to you that feelings are shaped by our worship too, but they really serve more as a thermometer to measure the extent of that which we truly value. In other words, when we feel it the most, we've probably valued it the deepest right conversion 
means we value Jesus' lordship that he won through his atoning sacrifice. Then when we worship Jesus as the highest and the worthiest of all, the truth of God's word shapes us from the center of our being to begin to produce new life through all of our doing in this life. You can't say you value one thing and live without that value being first in your life. In other words, if you value something, you give it prominence and priority, first position in your life. And transformation by biblical definitions is not measured only in a single decision, but it's measured in how we live determined by seeking Jesus first in each one of those decisions. So in other words, it's not just, well, I made a decision and that's it, but rather it's bringing the value of the Lord Jesus Christ alive within us to bear upon our consideration, upon our affections, and our actions in every one of our decisions. So when Jesus is most highly valued, we honor him by seeking him first in all. That's what Matthew 6.33 tells us. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And when we are converted by the atoning work of Christ and our faith put in him, and that new life is put within us by God, and it begins to transform us because the values we now hold based on the truth of God's word now begin to influence and direct the attitudes and the inclinations and the affections and the decisions of our life. Christ is displayed as Lord because the one who is living within is the one who is guiding the life that we are living in every way. You see, transformation anoints Jesus as worthy of all honor, praise, and glory through all of life and in every area of life. And friends, that's why we exist as a church. This is the whole reason that we exist as a church. To see the glory of God displayed on the earth as the waters cover the sea, Habakkuk 2.14 tells us. We want to see this glory increase and expand infinitely as long as we are here in this world. Not only in our own hearts, but in the world. So knowing what transformation is, though, doesn't mean we necessarily treasure it, right? Once we see what real biblical transformation is, how is it then that we hold it to a place in our lives and specifically among our congregation so that we treasure it above all as the expression of honoring Christ, the only one who can bring this transformation, as Lord of our congregation? Well, we treasure transformation by making sure that every decision, every attitude and action exalts Jesus as first in every area of life in order that we might cultivate God's redeeming love within us. 
We talk about being gospel-centered. We talk about being Christ-centered. We talk about being word-centered. We talk about being Jesus-centered. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about treasuring the transformation that only Jesus can bring. You see, the greatest temptation in the church today is the greatest temptation of the church throughout all of the ages in human history that we treasure something that we can produce instead of that which only God can produce in us. And that's why it's so important for us to talk about transformation and today how it is that we treasure the transformation that only Jesus can bring. Friends, Christians live compelled by God's love to treasure gospel transformation that honors and exalts Jesus. And that's what we're going to see today in 1 Chronicles chapter 29. If you'll go there with me, I want to read the first five verses And I want us to look at treasuring transformation that honors Jesus. How do we treasure the redeeming love of God within us to see it multiplied through us infinitely? Verse 1 reads, And David the king said to all the assembly, Solomon my son, whom alone God has chosen, is young and inexperienced. And the work is great, for the palace will not be for man, but for the Lord God. So I have provided for the house of my God so far as I was able. Moreover, in addition to all that I have provided for the holy house... I have a treasure of my own of gold and silver. And because of my devotion to the house of my God, I give it to the house of my God. Who then will willingly, consecrating himself today to the Lord, who then will offer willingly, consecrating himself today to the Lord? You see, what King David is doing here, he's, he is an aged man now. He's fought many battles and he's conquered many enemies. He's led the kingdom of Israel to its most prominent position ever. It's larger now than it's ever been. It's more secure now in worldly terms than it's ever been. And it's enjoying a state of peace now more than it's ever been. And David said to God, God, you have done this and we want to position you as first among the entirety of our kingdom. I want to build a temple, a place that is your home that might tell all people, not only us as reminders, but all of the nations who look upon us that you are the center of all that we do. And God said to him, you're a king of war. There's great blood on your hands. You brought us to this point, but you'll not be the one that builds the temple. Your son Solomon, who will rule after you, will build that temple And David said, okay, Lord, that's the way you want it. That's the way we want it. But I'm going to give everything I've got to see that it happens. And that's what he's saying here. His first commission, what he's prepared his entire reign for, is to build a temple to the Lord. You see, David valued God's work in a way as not only he led as king, and so he stewarded the resources of the kingdom to value the Lord's work, but he also stewarded his own life in such a way that he would treasure the Lord's work most. You see, what David was saying is that the trophies on his trophy case, 
that represented every nation that he had conquered and every evil that he had put down and, and everything that he had accomplished for the whole kingdom of Israel was not what was most important to him. But David leveraged the legacy of his life and the legacy of his kingship on this, that the people of Israel would follow to offer one united offering in order to honor the Lord. That's what David said. He said, all of this is only about that. Now, as we begin in 1 Chronicles 29 today, I want to look at five demonstrations that teach us how we treasure the transformation that the Lord brings. And friends, this is the first demonstration that we see in the life of David here. The first demonstration is that we treasure transformation when we consecrate our life through an offering to God. We treasure the transformation that only Jesus can do when we consecrate our life through an offering to God. You see, what David is doing is not just a symbolic gesture. It's just not, just not giving lip service to it, and he's just not offering something that's trite to it, but he is, as he says, consecrating his life. That word consecrate is so important. He's not only consecrating his life, he's consecrating the entire nation by exercising his leadership in the consecration of the stewardship of the nation's treasuries. And he gives an offering not only from the treasury of the kingdom, but from the treasury of his life as well. You see, David displays by his offering that God is worthy of all, not only for his own life, but for the whole kingdom. That God is worthy of everyone's all. And that's what he's leveraging his leadership as king to do. That word consecrate is important, and it's what David is trying to say to us, because here's what it tells us. Consecration means that the reality of who was living inside of him came to bear on how he lived out his own life. He is aligning that which is true of God living in him with the way that he lives out his life in every aspect of his life. Few things in this life will actually last for eternity. I think the old joke that most preachers tell is you never see a U-Haul being pulled behind a hearst. Why? Because we don't take things with us. But just because they don't last for eternity doesn't mean they're not important now. The way we invest and what we produce through the labor of our life, though it will not go with us to eternity, the scriptures teach it can produce eternal benefits now. That's what consecrating your life is all about, friends. I think this is so phenomenally overlooked and underpreached and under-celebrated in the church today that every piece of this temporal life here and now can be invested to produce eternal blessings in our life 
and for the life of all of those around us. And as we've already seen, for the life of people we will never meet on this earth. You want to talk about a gospel that's powerful, about a king who is incomparable. It is the one who takes the finite and brings an infinite return on it. It is the one who takes the temporal and brings the eternal impact out of it. It is the one who takes the stuff that will not last and brings a value to it that will not perish. That's powerful, friends. That's powerful. And when we consecrate our lives to the Lord Jesus, he brings that kind of power to life within us. But only, friends, only if we are consecrated. Consecrated. You see, that word that he uses there in the Hebrew for who will offer himself willingly today, consecrate. That willing consecration, you know what that means? It means to fill our hands with power. That's literally what it means. It's the filling of the hand with power. In other words, when we release our hold on the temporal in order to have our hold taken hold of by the eternal divine power. Why? Because it is of greater worth to us. It is of greater value to us. We are treasuring the things of God above all the things in this life. You see, honoring God with temporary treasures invest them to make an eternal impact by releasing the things that cannot last, that are temporal and that are fleeting away in order to be taken hold of by the things that will not perish, will not fade, will not spoil, and will not go away for all eternity. That's what it means to consecrate your life. That passage of scripture that was read earlier in the service about the lady who, who came in and broke an alabaster jar of oil. And it was so expensive that, that, that the disciple says, what are you doing? Do you know how much good could have been done for the poor? Do you know how much moral righteousness could have been produced by the value of that oil? And Jesus said, whoa, whoa. There's a higher glory and a higher good. Do not disrupt this lady who brought an alabaster jar in. An alabaster jar. Alabaster is a stone that comes out of Egypt. It's a precious stone, as you can see. It's beautiful. And likely, the oil jar that she brought was about 11 and a half ounces, commentators estimate. That's a half an ounce. Right there. 11 and a half ounces probably would have been about this size of a precious stone that she brought. Likely in our day and time today, likely worth over $1,000 maybe. Very expensive. In that day, highly expensive. And you know what? She didn't think a thing about it when she broke it. And when she poured it out over his feet and used her hair to wash it in and to rub it around. You know why? Because that jar, regardless of its value in this world, didn't have a hold on her heart because her life was held by one who is infinitely more valuable. 
consecrating our life. See, friends, when we consecrate our lives, we, we do so to glorify God and to serve his mission when we use the treasures of this life to honor Jesus. Friends, a church cannot grow generosity by celebrating only what money can do and give. But a church can only grow in generosity by giving for God to be able to do what he wants to do through his people, in his people, in the world. The second demonstration that we see here today is in verses 6 through 8. You see, giving expensive offering in Jesus' name as worship has a way of reproducing itself in others. And the second demonstration that we see is that treasuring transformation uses our consecration to influence others to honor the Lord. Look at verses 6 through 8. When David asked the question, it says, Then the leaders of fathers' houses made their free will offerings, as did also the leaders of the tribes, the commanders of thousands and of hundreds, the officers over the king's work. You see, immediately after David, the leaders followed him by giving their own offerings. Here's one of the most important principles of leadership. Leaders must be vested in the mission before they can ever lead others in the mission. And participation demonstrates this. That's what we see by the leaders. You see, they gave their offering not because the king coerced them. They gave their offering not because the king said they had to or even that they ought to or that they should or it was a good idea. But they gave their offering because God was working in their lives too. And as David led them, they were ready. They were sitting on G-O. They were ready to give because God's work had already taken place in their lives and they were consecrating themselves as well. You see, one person's consecration never comes through another person's offering. Christ followers honor the Lord to consecrate their lives to his work and to witness to others. My consecration only comes through my offering. But as we see with King David, it influences others. Our first consecration to the Lord, which is conversion, sets the influence to encourage others to consecrate their life to him as well as the very aim of our life. That's why Jesus says in the Great Commission, go and make disciples of all nations. Christians live as a faithful witness to Jesus' worthiness by our whole life being lived under his lordship. You see, the influence of treasuring transformation is immediately recognized, not only in the leadership, but among all the people. Look at verse 9 and see this third demonstration. Treasuring transformation occurs when we rejoice in the Lord with our whole heart. Verse 9, then the people rejoiced because they had given willingly. For with a whole heart they had offered freely to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. Let me tell you, rejoicing only comes to the heart that's been filled wholly. Not H-O-L-Y, but W-H-O-L-L-Y. The people immediately rejoiced with their whole heart. Friends, I'm going to tell you, nothing feels as good as honoring God with the offerings of our life. 
Now, so many times I'll stand up here and tell you how we need to be careful about our feelings and letting it drive us in our spiritual life. But I'm telling you today, let them be unleashed with joy that God puts in us when we give to consecrate our lives to him. And that's what they're telling us. This felt better to them than anything had ever felt to them. And nothing reveals what it is that we really treasure like our celebrations, right? You want to know what people value most highly? Look at what they celebrate most extravagantly. And that'll tell you every time. When we consecrate our lives to the Lord, his joy fills the whole of our being. You can feel God's joy in your bones. Don't pray, God, give me more joy. Pray, God, give me marrow joy. I don't want to just have more of it. I want it to be deeper. I want it to last longer. I want it to determine more of who I am. And listen, friends, the experience of your joy is always proportionate to the wholeness of your heart that's been given to God to fill with it. God will fill every part of your heart that you give to him with a joy that is indescribable and inexpressible in every way. But God will only fill the part of your heart that you consecrate to him, that you give to him. If your whole heart isn't filled with God, it's because it's not all been given to him. And what does he do? He proves his worthiness. You will never outgive God. Why? Because God will always give more joy, that which we love more, in response to the offering we give. This leads to the fourth demonstration that we treasure transformation when we unite our joy to multiply praise in the congregation. Verse 10 Therefore, David blessed the Lord in the presence of all the assembly. And David said, Blessed are you, O Lord, the God of Israel, our Father, forever. And ever. And listen, David is praying to express with one prayer the combined joy of the whole congregation. Verse 11, yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heavens and in the earth is yours. Yours is the kingdom, O Lord, and you are exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come from you, and you rule over all. In your hand are power and might, and in your hand it is to make great and to give strength to all. And now we thank you, our God, and praise your glorious name. You see, friends, we treasure transformation when we unite our joy to multiply the praise in the congregation because consecration positions our life to bless the Lord. You see, blessing the Lord only happens after the consecration of life because one person cannot and will not say these things with a clear conscience if their heart has not been fully consecrated. When we position our life with the congregation of God's people, individual testimonies synergize to form one united testimony that produces increasing, greater glory. The fifth demonstration is this, that treasuring transformation leads the congregation from celebration to communion with God. This is a beautiful picture that we see here. David's prayer demonstrates that God's transformation among his people has taken place. He acknowledges God's holiness and he acknowledges God as the source of all and the giver of all good things. But he goes on in verse 14, but who am I? What are we that we should be able to offer thus willingly? In other words, who are we to bring such finite temporal values 
and have produced from them such eternal majestic glory. That's what David is saying. You see, God brings us into the process that is his and his alone of glory producing, friends. That, that's what our lives were intended to. And, and you see, God comes near to his people. Verses 17 and 18, he says, I know, my God, that you test the heart and you have pleasure in uprightness. And then verse 18, the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, our fathers, keep forever such purposes and thoughts in the hearts of your people and direct the hearts to you. What David is praying is that God would tether our hearts to the Lord, that we would never value anything in this world greater than the one who is Lord and, and creator and sustainer of this world. Because what God does is he comes near to his people, not just to be close, but to commune. And when he comes near, he empowers us to commune with him in worship. What is worship? Worship is where we assign value. Worship is where we display the transformation of God because the values of our life have changed. We don't hold the values of this world and they don't hold us anymore the way they did before Christ. Now Christ is all. We willingly consecrate ourselves by making our offerings. Hands open fully. That in that consecration, that hand that's been opened fully to worship God might be filled with the power and the authority of heaven. And we might be strengthened to live a life and produce a glory that we cannot produce in ourselves. Wholehearted worship only flows from a consecrated life that is completely surrendered to the Lord. Christians live compelled by God's love to treasure gospel transformation that honors and exalts Jesus. I'm gonna ask the worship team to return.